the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hebrews 11.31 By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Matthew 1.5 Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. And then Joshua 2, 18 through 24. Coming in right in the middle of a scene here. So unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads." We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills, stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Bless the reading. Amen. Thank you, Jim. And you can have a seat. He did pretty good without those bifocals. Well, Dr. Zach uh, preached on hope a few weeks ago, and I know Hermie, Pastor Hermie, uh, preached on freedom last week. We're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is, you know, I call it God's Hall of Fame or God's Hall of Faith. Uh, different heroes of the Old Testament saints are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, we talked about Abel. He had a worshiping faith. Remember, he brought that lamb, probably, when he worshiped God. 
And then we talked about Enoch. He had a, a walking faith. Enoch walked with God. And then we talked about Noah. He had a working faith. God told him to build an ark, and he did uh, by faith. And we talked about Abraham. He listened to God even though God didn't tell him where he was going, but he went. He went anyway. We talked about Isaac. We talked about Jacob, you know, wrestling with that angel. And we talked about Moses and Moses' parents, Amran and Jochebed. And we talked about Joshua, remember, marching around. You know, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And uh, right before we left on Father's Day, I think it was, we preached on Gideon and uh, the victory that they won over the Midianites. And today, today's hero is definitely an unlikely hero, Rahab, I mean amazing, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot, and I call her the shady lady from Jericho. I call her red light Rahab, the only other woman other than Sarah mentioned in Hebrews 11, God's hall of faith. Rahab the Gentile, Rahab the foreigner. You see, when God lists some Old Testament people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, God doesn't seem to remember their failures. He remembers their faith. And Rahab was not remembered for her failure, but for her faith because, right, it's not according to your fame. It's not according to your fortune. It's not according to your fashion. It's not according to your friends. Jesus said, be it unto you according to your what? Your faith. And Rahab the harlot made it into God's hall of faith. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we can too, if we have faith, because Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. But you see, Rahab, I think, she was a transformed woman. I mean, she was so changed and transformed. She married a prince in Israel. She was so transformed that she became the great-great-grandmother of King David. She was so changed and transformed that she became part of the bloodline of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Read it for yourself. Rahab, the harlot, this Gentile woman, made it not only into God's hall of faith, Hebrews 11, but also, get this, into the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Unbelievable. Rahab's name is right there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Remember Boaz? He was that kinsman redeemer, Goel, in the book of Ruth. Now, how is it that this Canaanite woman went from the, the house of shame to the hall of fame? From a child of hell to a citizen of heaven. From the shady lady to a shining star. I believe she was transformed uh, by the grace of God. You know, education's good, that's fine, but that's not enough. Inspiration is good, that's fine, but that's not enough. We're talking about transformation. You see, there's a big difference. There's a big difference in making a decision for Christ and being converted by Christ. The difference is this. It's transformation. It's a changed life. And that's what revival is all about, really. And that's what spiritual awakening is all about. It's about changed lives. It's about the transformation of lives, of marriages, of families, of churches, cities, states, nations. Did you ever read anything about the Welsh revival in the early 1900s? Google it. Read about the Welsh revival. Do you ever read anything about the spiritual awakenings right here in the United States of America? Names like George Whitfield, names like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney. Google their names once and read about this. 
Have you ever read anything about the Fulton Street Revival of 1858 in New York? Google it, Fulton Street Revival, or the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in the early 1900s. Google these things. Read about these things. This is history. Don't let anybody rewrite this history. You talk about transformation. You talk about changed lives. You see, I believe Rahab was a transformed woman. How did it all happen? Well, Hebrews 11.31 just mentions it, but you gotta turn back to Joshua chapter two. You gotta turn back in the Old Testament and see the whole story. Joshua chapter two. You remember the story, right? God commanded uh, his people, the Hebrews, to take the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. And between them and the promises of God was this city uh, called Jericho. We've already talked about this city. And in that city of Jericho, there was this Canaanite woman. This woman the Bible calls a harlot. This woman the Bible calls a prostitute. And I believe that she was saved. And I believe that she was transformed. And today I want to talk about this unlikely hero named Rahab. And I want to talk about the transforming power of faith. And God had said he wanted the city of Jericho destroyed. And remember Joshua, Joshua, who was God's general commander in chief, he picked two guys. And these two men were God's representatives, uh, God's messengers. And they went into the city of Jericho, and there they met this woman, Rahab. And I think through their witness, uh, she was transformed. She was converted. So how was Rahab in the Old Testament? How was she transformed? I think she went through three very important phases, and I call it Rahab's trek to transformation. Rahab's trek to transformation. So let's look at the first phase. Phase number one, I just want to call convicted by the Spirit. She was convicted by the Spirit. Have you ever been convicted by the Spirit of God? Now this is amazing. I mean, these spies, these messengers came to this woman. She was, you know, her house was up there on the wall of Jericho, and they came to talk with her, and you cannot believe what this pagan lady says to them. Uh, She put them up on the roof to hide up there, and the Bible says in Joshua 2, if you want to try to turn to Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. These are some verses that Jim didn't read. He wasn't supposed to. I'm just adding these verses uh, so you can get the gist of the story. Uh, Joshua 2, starting at verse 8, it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is a a pagan lady. This is a Canaanite Talking that way, can you imagine a sinful, fallen, depraved woman making such a fantastic statement of faith? Who had been working on her? Who had been speaking to her? The Holy Spirit of God had been speaking to this woman. And how does the Holy Spirit operate? 
The Holy Spirit of God, I think, searched out the city of Jericho, and in that city of Jericho, the Holy Spirit of God saw a woman who had a seeking heart, and the Holy Spirit of God saw a heart that he could tender, a heart that he could touch and work on, and so the Holy Spirit of God is working on this woman and working on this woman and bringing her under deep conviction before the two spies even got to her. Oh, that God would manifest his presence in this Red River Valley, his awesome, awful, abiding, and amazing presence so that hearts would melt. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when I say his awful presence, I mean his full of awe presence, that mouth-wide-open presence of God. Now, what is God saying to us today? I mean, has God changed? Somebody said Friday that God is immutable. And that's true. That's one of the qualities of our God. He's immutable. That means God does not change. Does the Holy Spirit work in the same way? I think he does. And do you know how the Holy Spirit of God brings men and women and boys and girls and young people to Jesus? I think he searches the city. And he finds in that city, town or village, somebody who has a searching heart. And I think God, the the Holy Spirit begins to work on that person and to tender and to touch their heart and to bend them toward spiritual things. And then the same Holy Spirit searches the city and he finds some of his people. Maybe a man, a woman, a boy or a girl and he guides these people to that person that he's already prepared. This is how people come to Christ. Now think of that great city of Jericho. Think how big it was. Think of all the people of Jericho. Do you think it was by chance that these two spies went to the house of Rahab? Do you think that that just happened? It was a divine appointment. These two men were in the stream of the Holy Spirit like a guided missile. God brought them right to that house, right to the home of the woman that he had been preparing. She was under already under deep conviction. Their hearts were melting. What does that mean to you? That means all over this Red River Valley, all over this city of Fargo in the greater Fargo area, today, God, the Holy Spirit, is working. Tonight, he will be working. Tomorrow, he will be working, tendering hearts. And he wants you, the believer, to be so led of the Spirit as a Christian that the hungry heart and the Spirit-led, the Spirit-directed Christian will be brought together because the Holy Spirit is working on both sides of the fence. You know, over here, he's preparing a heart, and over here, he's preparing a messenger. It's awesome the way God works. And scripture is so saturated with examples like this. I haven't time to really get into it, but let me just mention um, some of the divine appointments in the New Testament, like Acts chapter 8. You got the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, riding his chariot out of, out of Jerusalem, and he's already reading the book of Isaiah, of all things, and God saw a hungry heart, and God reached all the way up into Samaria, and he fetched this preaching deacon named Philip to lead that Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Jesus Christ. Go home and read it this afternoon, Acts chapter 8. Well, what about Acts chapter 10? One of my favorite guys, you know this. Cornelius, I like him. He was a member of the Italian regiment. He's a good Italian guy, but he was a pagan man. 
He was a pagan man, but I, I believe he had a hungry heart because the Bible says he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. And remember what God did? God went to Simon Peter, and he gave Simon Peter a vision. And he went to Cornelius, and he gave Cornelius a vision. And God brought the spirit-led Christian, Simon Peter, and the unsaved man, Cornelius, together because both of them were being worked on by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the way God works. What about in John chapter four? I mean, it was no accident in John chapter four that Jesus went through Samaria to talk to that other shady lady in scripture, the woman at the well. I mean, Jews would not normally travel through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans, but the Bible says Jesus must needs, that's a King James, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because of that woman. The meeting of that woman was not by chance. It had been orchestrated by God. God guides his people. Calvary, I believe with all my heart that there are many folks in this Red River Valley who are hungry. They're hungry for a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And God has been doing his work, you know, on this side of the fence. And the Holy Spirit of God has been working. And I believe if you are walking in the stream of the Holy Spirit, God will bring the Spirit-directed Christian in contact with a hungry heart. Maybe someone you rub shoulders with every day. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone at school. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a relative. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or a grandpa or a grandma. I believe God God is working on both sides of the fence. And God, on the one hand, he's preparing a lost person. And on the other hand, he's waiting to use you. And God will guide you. And he'll show you where to go. Let me encourage you, Calvary. I mean, something simple. Have you ever invited anyone to church? <laughs> Did you know that 80% of the folks who show up at a church for the first time were invited personally oh the power of an invitation God is already working on people we got to believe that but he's waiting and he's wanting to use you Rahab was convicted by the Holy Spirit that was phase number one phase number two in Rahab's trek to transformation was this she was convinced by the word convicted by the spirit convinced by the word look at Joshua 2 12 to 21 and it says now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family this is Rahab talking because I have shown kindness to you give me a sure sign or some versions say a token that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death our lives for your lives the men assured her if you don't If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. And the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will pee upon his own head. We will not be responsible As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you 
But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she said. Let it be as you say, or some versions say, let it be according to your word. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab said, let it be as you say. Another version, according to your words, so be it. Now what she received here, I think, was the word of God. This was not the word of man. I believe it was the word of God. In fact, James chapter two, verse 25, you look that up when you go home. It calls these two men not just spies, but messengers. They were more than spies. They were spokesmen of almighty God. And they had heard the word, and they were just passing on God's message to this lady. It's like sometimes we touch on some difficult things here at church and you know, sometimes people might get a little upset with me about something. I say, don't get mad at me. I'm just the mailman, right? I'm just delivering the mail. I'm delivering God's word. That's all I'm doing. And that's what these guys were doing with Rahab. They were just delivering the mail. It was God's word. They were messengers. Now listen, why did Rahab have faith? Because she said, let it be as you say, according to your word, so be it. According to the word, according to the word, according to the word. Now if you haven't learned this yet, learn it now. Do you know what real faith is? you know what biblical faith is? It's not just believing that you can. It's not just confidence in and of itself. It's not like... uh, positive thinking. It's not just wishing upon a star. It's not like putting a picture in your refrigerator and believe it's going to happen. It's not believing makes it so. Real faith is taking God at his word. That's all it is. Real faith is taking God at his word. You can't have faith until God gives you a word, until God speaks to you, and faith is your response to the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. How important it is that we listen to the voice of God. How important it is that we are tuned in to the word of God. How important it is to get alone with God and to spend quiet time with God and to get into the word of God and saturate your souls with scripture. Rahab's trek to transformation, phase one, Abraham was convicted by the Spirit. Old Testament. (laughs) Rahab was convinced by the Word. And last but not least, phase three, I want to say that Rahab was converted by the blood. You just look at Joshua 2, 21 to 24. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say, let it be according to your word. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied a scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. And then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Now, you know, when these guys escaped... Uh, the house she said go hide up there in the mountains for three days and she let them down by a scarlet line and don't tell me that it was just happenstance that this was a scarlet rope I mean was it a coincidence that these men told her to bind or tie this scarlet cord to the window 
And then when they would see that scarlet line in the window, they would kind of pass over her house and no judgment would come to that house. I mean, what does that remind you of? I mean, don't you remember Exodus chapter 12? You know, God told the Hebrew people, he told those people to take the blood of a lamb, did he not? You know, a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot, to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house, and then God said, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, why do you think those spies told her to put a scarlet line, a scarlet rope in the window? Well, it said earlier that it was a symbol. Or as she said in verse 12, it was a a token. It was a sign that she was, I think that she was coming into God's covenant of those who are redeemed by the blood. I mean, thus the genealogy of Jesus. (laughs) Now, of course, Jesus had not died yet. And all these Old Testament symbols and types and figures and signs were just shadows, really, that pointed Toward the blood redemption of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, did not Jesus say in Luke chapter 24 that everything, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. You see, there has been this scarlet line all the way through the Bible. And in Genesis 3.21, there in the Garden of Eden, God made coats of skin for Adam and Eve. God shed the blood of an innocent animal. Genesis 4.4, when Abel offered his lamb, God looked with favor on Abel's lamb rather than Cain's vegetables. Why? Because you cannot get blood out of a turnip, right? Blood was shed. And in Genesis 22, when you see Abraham, you know, being obedient, taking his only son, Isaac, up on Mount Moriah, and there was a ram caught in the thickets with a crown of thorns on his head. The ram was a substitute. Blood was shed. And in Genesis 8.20, when Noah comes out of the boat, when he comes off the ark, he offering a sacrifice. Blood was shed. I mean, when you see thousands, thousands of smoking altars there in the tabernacle in the Jewish temple as the blood was shed, you hear God saying over and over and over again, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus died for you. Amen. You see, we're all guilty. We are guilty before God. We're under the wrath of God. We are rebels. All have sinned. Rahab sinned, but so have you, and so have I. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Rahab was cleansed. The important factor is not that she escaped death because she eventually died. The most important factor is not that you live for two or three more years. The most important thing for you is that you live for eternity in heaven with God. The most important thing is not the sparing of your physical life. The most important thing is the cleansing of your soul. I know Rahab had far more happen to her than just simply that she escaped the sword. James tells us in James chapter 2 that Rahab was made righteous. Rahab was made righteous. She was justified, just as if she'd never sinned. She was made right in the sight of God. That's what it says. Scripture interprets Scripture, right? I mean, are you right with God? Rahab, the harlot, 
was made whiter than snow. And the Bible says, come, you know, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Amazing, a transformed life. Rahab made white as snow. And that just tells me that God can change anybody. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, Jesus is in the business of more than education, more than inspiration, but transformation. Now, you think the gospel's for the harlot and the thief and the drunk, the dope addict, the prostitute, all those bad people, but not for you. After all, you're a nice person. North Dakota, nice. Minnesota, nice. You live a moral life. You don't pick your nose in public. You're such a good person. You know what the scripture says? It says all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. It's not the amount of sin that damns you. It's the fact of sin. And one sin unforgiven is enough to send you straight to hell. And the Bible says, whoever keeps the, the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. James chapter two, verse 10. Look it up. You say, Dave, I don't need to be saved. I, I, I live a good life and I'll do better. I'll try harder. I'll do better, Dave. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. You can't live a good life, really, until Jesus comes into your life. Listen, Calvary, the worst form of badness is human goodness when that human goodness becomes a substitute for the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a godly you know, law-abiding guy, Pharisee, you know, he was the teacher of Israel. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And do you know what Jesus said concerning the harlot in his day? And he said to the religious crowd, to the Pharisees, he said this. He said, the harlots and the publicans are going to heaven before you do. <laughs> Think about that. He said, they're gonna get, get there before you. Why? Because the Pharisees are so self-righteous, so self-sufficient. They never saw their need for salvation. They were boasting of their own human goodness. They were patting themselves on the back. At least Rahab knew she needed the Lord. Do you know it for real? I mean, do you feel it? Conviction of the Spirit, convincing of the Word of God. Your only hope is in the blood of Jesus. That's it. Satan wants us to think we're either too good for the Lord or too bad for the Lord. There's no one here too bad to be saved. I mean, look at Rahab. Also, there's no one here without Christ who is good that you don't need to be saved. Whosoever will may come. 
I just want to look at one uh, passage in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Very familiar passage. And it says, he came to that which was his own. A lot of people say, well, that was to the Jewish people. Well, yeah, it was, but I think his own means everybody that he created. Right? I mean, he came to the world. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And I think I, think I listed that in the, uh, the bulletin, just kind of a little outline. You know, the, in that verse, I think there's the greatest tragedy, there's the, the greatest transaction, and there's the greatest transformation. The greatest tragedy is that he came to his own. But his own didn't receive him, didn't welcome him, didn't put all their trust in him. His own. The greatest transaction, but as many as received him, you know, welcomed him, exchanged their sin for his righteousness. That's the greatest transaction. And then the greatest transformation is to them, to them, to those people that received, to those people that put all their trust in Jesus Christ, to them, he gave the right to, or the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Hebrews eleven thirty one. by faith Rahab the prostitute, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. If you're saved, it will be because you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, you've been convinced by this word of God, and you have been converted by the blood. What will you do with Jesus? He said he would meet with us when we met in his name, that he'd be in our midst. So he's right here. And I believe he's knocking at your heart's door, wanting to be welcomed. Again, as Savior, forgiver, leader, and Lord. And I think today is a wonderful opportunity to commit your life to Christ if you're not sure about that, maybe you feel some conviction today. Maybe you feel, you know, you're more convinced today of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and you just want to say, I'm depending solely. You know, I'm only going to plead the blood of Jesus before the throne of God. That's it. It's not how good I am. It's how great God is and what he's done for me on the cross. In October 8th, uh, 1871, 149 years ago, the Chicago fire started in that cow shed of Mrs. O'Leary, Mrs. O'Leary's barn. But the night before that great fire, the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, was preaching a message. And the name of his message was, what will you do with Jesus? And it was the night before the Chicago fire. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow do we? We don't know what kind of news we're going to get tomorrow or what's going to happen next year, but today is an opportunity to put all of your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could say, you know, I think it was July 12, 2020, where, you know, God drew me in and I responded to the gospel. And I said, yes, for real. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to ask the praise band to come 
maybe you would just like to, to pray with me. And just to, to make sure that you're right with God. But let me ask a question. What, what attitudes and actions have changed in your life since you have trusted Christ? God wants to transform you. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus wants to change your life. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set up his reign and his rulership in your heart and in your life. He wants to lead you. He's the lover of your soul. He wants that love relationship with you. Maybe you could just pray something like this. God, when I think about my own sin, when I think about me laying in a casket, I just, I'm not sure. and I just want to say I'm sorry that you haven't been first in my life. I'm sorry that I've broken your law. Even if it's just one, I know I'm guilty of it all. But I want to thank you, God, that you have this awesome plan of salvation from the beginning of time, that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world, and that you died for me, and that you are the Messiah that these Indonesian missionaries were singing about. Lord, that they're taking the message all over the world because it's true and you told us to. And I thank you that you've done it all on the cross, that you died for my sins according to the scriptures. You were buried on the third day you rose again. And I just say, please, Lord, come into my life. Forgive my sin, Lord. Change me. I want to be born again. I want not just uh, turn over a new leaf. I want, a, I want a new life. And I want you to start changing me from the inside out. Thank you for your blood. Oh, the blood. The blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. If you made a commitment today, I was going to have you come and shake my hand, but I know that might be offensive to some people, but... You know, I just feel like we need uh, public times of, of commitment uh, to hold us accountable for the commitments that we made. People say, hey, I saw you go forward at a church meeting. I saw you shake the preacher's hand. We need more accountability in the church, more discipleship in the church. So God, we just thank you for the grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you that you can change our lives and keep changing them until you come back for us. Lord, help us. Help us to be spirit-filled and spirit-led Christians. Lord, that you're preparing us to share a message with those on the other side of the fence that you're also preparing to receive the message. Help us to see things from your point of view. In Jesus' name, amen.